Welcome to Fronteras, a program that explores issues at the border and beyond through the lens of arts, culture, and history. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. A new collection of writings by Latina writers, poets, mystics, musicians, and even politicians spans centuries and refuses to be categorized. It's called Daughters of Latin America, an international anthology of writing by Latine women. Many of them have won acclaim as National Book Award winners, Pulitzer Prize winners, or are Nobel laureates or poets laureate. Other writers are lesser known like Maria Sabina, the illiterate Mexican shaman and poet known as the Mushroom Priest. The length of the entries ranges from a few lines to a few pages, and they're arranged into 13 different sections to represent the 13 sacred moons of the year, ranging from the graceful moon to the exalted moon to the supreme moon. Today, we continue our talk with three daughters of Latin America, writer, poet, and folklorist Dr. Norma Elia Cantu, Murkison Professor of the Humanities at Trinity University, with writer Dr. Natalia Trigo, Assistant Professor of Spanish at the University of Texas at Arlington, and with feminist writer and filmmaker Sandra Guzman, editor of Daughters of Latin America. The subtitle of the book, An International Anthology of Writing by Latine Women, features an alternative term for Latino, Latina, or Latinx. Cantu explains why Latine perhaps best exemplifies the concept of the anthology while taking a broader perspective on self-descriptives. I'm old enough, so we were calling ourselves like <laughs> Mexicanos, Botejanos. We didn't use any yeah. of these terms, and then it became Hispanic and Mexican-American mm-hmm. and all of the other versions that we know. And with my students, I've discussed this as well. And yes, Latinx is a problem for some people because it's supposedly Anglo-enforced or U.S.-enforced mm-hmm. because it's the Latinx folks in the U.S. that would use it. And it's not easily translated into El Español in Mexico. Por because it's such a gendered language, right. period. And the other part of it, and some people oppose it because it's not celebrating all the struggle to get to even be Chicana. <laughs> I mean, just to call ourselves Chicanas was a, a long struggle. So now you're erasing it and calling us Latina. <laughs> well, that's not true. In my view, we're inclusive. And it covers all of us. And just like the anthology, it's borderless, but it also, in so many ways, rompe barreras. It breaks those barriers of nations, of language, of identities. And I I love that about it. I mean, next to Maria Sabina is Gloria Saldúa at the very beginning. So it's rompe todo eso. It just breaks it apart. And for me, the term Latina is inclusive, and I use it. I also use chicané. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So that it is a non-specific gender identity, but fluid and encompasses all of it. Wherever you are on that spectrum of, of gender identity, it's fluid. And you can use all of it or none of it, cada quien. My favorite dicho, some of you know from my email, cada cabeza es un mundo. Yeah. <laughs> Every mind is its own world. And you create your own reality, your own identity. And I think the anthology also allows the writers to surface, to shine in their own genre, because I love it that it's not just all poetry or all short stories or all autohistoria, testimonio. It's all of that. Mm -hmm. It's really hybrid text. So, Sandra, these 
Latina daughters, their voices, again, are so varied. I'm curious as to why you chose to channel their works into 13 particular different sections and whether their groupings really have anything to do with that particular section. Because when I was reading, I I noticed that there really wasn't, I couldn't make any connection between the pieces within the section itself. So I'm wondering if that was, if it's something that I'm missing or if it's something that you purposefully put forth. I love that question. And I thought, I have all these texts, I have all these women, how am I going to organize them? (laughs) (laughs) And I remember being in Boriquen, popularly known by its colonized name, Puerto Rico. And I remember just putting all of the text on the floor, and then the lights went out. (laughs) 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 And I lit all of these candles. And then I started just, it was a meditative process. I knew that I wanted to use the number 13 because um, the number 13 is a holy number in the Maya calendar. And also, human beings have 12 orifices and women have 13, which is the womb. And we have 13 major joints. So the 13 is just a sacred number for so many different reasons. And there are 13 holy moons in the year. And so for that reason, 13 was chosen. And I am beginning a process of rematriation. I'm returning to my motherland. It's been happening for the past, I don't know, 10 years now. I love that, rematriation. I love that. Yes. (laughs) Um, I was posed the question, do you know the language of the moon? And I was like, no. (laughs) And then the indigenous man who asked me this, the Taino man who asked me this said, well, you know, our ancestors, they wouldn't go into the ocean without knowing the stage of the moon. They could die. They uh, used harvesting calendars according to the moon. In fact, all earthlings at some point were paying attention to the moon. And there are still many communities that do, and the Maya community does. And so... I started to talk to Maya timekeepers. Uh, there's one in the book, Nana Maria, who shared with me some ideas about how to think about it and how I divided the women. I know that I wanted the poets to bookend each chapter. So I don't know if you noticed yet, the heartbeat of the anthology is with poetry with each chapter. Mm. And then we go into the different genres. For instance, I thought, Well, the supreme moon is the moon where everything kind of just comes together. And I actually thought that Esmeralda Santiago, who's been my mentor, should be in the supreme moon. And her poem, Mi Sangre, she makes her debut as a poet, by the way, in the anthology. And she resisted. She helped me throughout the whole anthology, held my hand, encouraged me. She would, like, open doors, introduce me to writers. And she's like, I don't know if I want to participate. And I kept pushing her, come on. And she sends me this beautiful poem called Mi Sangre. And it's like a memoir in like 13 lines. And so I knew that she would be in the Supreme Moon. So I thought about what are the women writing and, and how are these moons connected to the essence of what they're writing? So it was almost like a song for me. And by the way, I have singer-songwriters in the book as well. 
Uh, there's Lila Downs, who sent me a gorgeous text about an ancestor named Latacha, which I hope she turns into a song. There's another woman, Doña Felipa Pica. She's a bomba y plena, daughter of former enslaved Africans in Puerto Rico. So it felt like a song that I was composing with all of their texts. And you point out in the introduction, this isn't a book that you necessarily have to read from beginning to end. You can open it at any point. You can read a little bit every day. You can read it you know, a little bit every month. It's, it's not meant for you to, where did I leave off? If you put the book down, you can just pick it up, open it anywhere. You lose your bookmark, that's okay. Anybody can pick this up and meditate on a piece. I love that. I, there is a lot of magic in an anthology because you can open it at any moment and the medicine is there for you. I just encourage everybody to read the introduction (laughs) because the introduction will give a sense of what it is that I'm trying to do or just give them tips um, for them to keep in mind or maybe not read the introduction and just delve right in. Anthologies are like that. They're not meant to be, at least not this anthology, is not meant to be read from front to back. You can read this anthology from back to front, and you can read it from front to back. You can read it at any moment, and at any moment, I guarantee you, you're going to find beauty and brilliance. And I want to say one more thing, that one anthology is not enough. There's so many brilliant writers who are not in the anthology, and that speaks to our talent, and that speaks to the work that the women are doing. And I hope others are encouraged to create more daughters, more daughters, (laughs) more daughters. Wouldn't that be great? Sandra Guzman is the editor of Daughters of Latin America. We're also talking to two of the anthology's contributors, Norma Elia Cantu and Natalia Trigo. When we come back, Sandra Guzman says putting the anthology together was a spiritual journey. Throughout this process, I had dreams. And the next to the last daughter to come to me came in a dream. More conversation next on Fronteras. Welcome back to Fronteras. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. We're talking today about the expansive collection Daughters of Latin America, an international anthology of writing by Latine women. It consists of poems, essays, narratives, unpublished works, mystical chants, speeches, and so much more. Our guests are the collection's editor, Sandra Guzman, and two of the 140 contributors, Norma Elia Cantu and Natalia Trigo. I expected our conversation to wrap up after what you just heard in the first part of the program. Usually when I wrap up my interviews, I ask our guests if there are any questions I didn't ask that they'd like to discuss or whether they have any last words. Natalia Trigo takes up the discussion there. I don't think I have words. I have a lot of questions. Um, Well, I want to hear your questions. Yeah, I want to talk about the cover of the book because I love it and I... Well, first of all, I love that it's named Daughters of Latin America because that means that we come from everywhere, all over the place, and daughters signifies a lot to me. And I don't know, if you can tell us a little bit about the cover, that would be great because the the faces of these women are so powerful. So, Sandra, describe, because it's radio, describe the faces on the cover. Well, the artist, her name is Camila Rosa. And she's also a daughter of Latin America. 
She's Brasileña, who now lives in New York. And the cover was really difficult to find because how do you find the cover that can visually tell us uh, the spirit of what it is that is inside and between the covers? And so this was like the ninth attempt. I kept saying, nope, nope, nope. Wow. So we have one woman. It's an illustrated cover. And I see her as an ancestor looking over the other two women. And we're all in conversation. I love the colors. Uh, the color of the women is this rich, beautiful chocolate, caramel. And I love that they're seriously looking at each other. And they have some important things to say. And so the energy is definitely a very powerful, listen to me, look at me. I am going to share some stories with you that are going to rock your world. <laughs> what about you, Norma? I mean, is there anything you've been wanting to ask Sandra or any final words? Yeah. One of the things that I find when I'm working on anthologies is often it's almost spiritual. Mm. There's almost like the authors are speaking to me at some other level. And I make decisions sometimes wisely, sometimes not so much based on that. I'm just curious if you felt that energy when you were working. And a lot of that, it's almost like you have to put your mind on hold and just go with what it feels like. I'm describing my process. I don't know how it is for you. Norma, I thought I was the only one speaking to ancestors. <laughs> Ancestor writers. Yeah, this was a very spiritual journey. It was an egoless journey as well. All of you to be together made some concessions, right, about honoraria, which I think is really important to have as many women. There had to be decisions that were made. But throughout this process, I had dreams And the next to the last daughter to come to me came in a dream. And she's Cecilia Vicuña, the Chilean poet and artist. And I had a dream that she came to me and she just showed me her name. She kind of just opened up like this, you know, flag, this cloth, this textile. And her name was in gold. And I was like, I must reach out to Cecilia Vicuña. Now, I don't know Cecilia Vicuña. <laughs> But definitely, it was a very dreamy mm -hmm. process. Maria Sabina would come to me and speak to me. Delmira, Alejandra Pizarnik. Mm -hmm. We have so many wonderful ancestors that really wanted to be here. And the challenge of the anthologist, in many ways, is to find permissions of ancestors who are no longer here. And you just can't publish a piece of writing without having formal authorization. And so finding the heirs to many of these women proved to be very challenging. And what I would often do is talk to them and say to them, if you want to be in this anthology, reach out to me, reach out to me, give me a sign. And Virginia Brindis de Salas, she's in your section, Natalia. Mm -hmm. I thought that she was in public domain But there are different public domain rules in different countries. And so the United States is different than in Uruguay. And I found a, a musician online that basically musicalized her poetry. And I reached out to her and she said, Por supuesto, yes, I will connect you to her daughter. 
And I spoke to her daughter. And her daughter cried on the phone that we were going to lift her mother's work in this international uh, way. And so the ancestors who are here really wanted to be with me. Gloria Ansaldúa comes with a beautiful, I just want to read this. This is the poem. It's a prayer, really, that um, has never been published and comes from her estate. And it's called A Writer's Prayer. Let me enter the writing without resistance and toil in the muck of chaos. Out of this order, let me bring order and something new into existence. Let me touch the bodies of others and move their souls. Feminist writer and filmmaker Sandra Guzman is editor of Daughters of Latin America, an international anthology of writing by Latine women. We also spoke with writer, poet, and folklorist Dr. Norma Elia Cantu, Murkison Professor of the Humanities at Trinity University in San Antonio, and with writer Dr. Natalia Trigo, Assistant Professor of Spanish at the University of Texas at Arlington. Cantu and Trigo are contributors to the anthology. Here is Natalia Trigo reading an excerpt from her fictional work, La Cuidadora, The Caregiver. Her piece is found under the section, The Sinuous Moon. Luisa throws the rest of the lentils into the sink and lets the water wash them down the drain. She puts a blood pressure pill on a napkin and brings Doña Maca a glass of water so she can swallow it. But the old lady ignores her. She says, for the new baby to survive, they'll have to get rid of someone. That it does her no good to carry the burden of another woman. Luisa turns to look at the purse she left on the armchair because she thinks the old lady might have her rummaging in it while she fixed the bed. But the purse doesn't seem to have moved. Look, pay attention to the card, the old lady continues, raising the tower card. Do you think this card lies? She says, looking at her intently, and Luisa notices the glassy pupils of the old lady and she feels a chill run down her spine. Doña Maca, we're going to take your medicine. The old lady doesn't shift her gaze, and Luisa fears for Tamara, for Daniela, as if the old lady could hurt them. She takes the pill between her fingers, hoping the old lady will forget her reading. Take your pill, she says rubbing Senora Smaka's back as she does with her other patients. The old lady resists. Go on, take it. She presses it against Doña Maca's lips. The old lady closes her lips and twists her head away as if it were a game. Please don't be like that, Doña Maca. The old lady responds she will swallow the pill only if Luisa picks another card. No, no more cards, Luisa replies. She doesn't want to listen to the old lady anymore. She just wants to finish the day as soon as possible and take her pay from the ceramic jar. She takes a few steps back, but when the old lady holds out the deck of cards, it becomes impossible to say no. She watches her hand move involuntarily, her fingers bumping into the old lady's hand knuckles pulled tight under her skin. The hanged man. Doña Maca smiles and says, See? It was nothing. And Luisa leans against the table because she feels weak. The old lady sips a little water and slams the glass down on the table, and Luisa jumps. Now the pill, she demands. The old lady turns her head and marks a circle with her lips and leaves Luisa's fingers slimy as she sucks the pill. 
she showed her her tongue to prove she swallowed it. No doubt, you will need to make a sacrifice, get rid of someone. That's what the hanged man means. Enough with games, Luisa says. She dusts off her sweater as if dusting off words of the old lady. Doña Maca bangs the card against the table and repeats, For the baby to live, someone needs to die. Luisa desperately wants to call Tamara, ask her how she feels, run to the daycare to see how Daniela is doing, but then she sees the old lady hunched over. The effort takes her to lift her cup of the table, and she tells herself she's only instigating. That's Natalia Trigo reading an excerpt from La Cuidadora, found in the anthology Daughters of Latin America. Norma Cantu's contribution is the essay Telling Tales of the Texas Borderlands. It's found under the section The Luminous Moon. As Tejanas, Tejanos, Tejanes, we walk the paths of our ancestors walked and recover the memory that lies embedded in our DNA. As we weave, quilt, bake, build homes, write poems, tell stories, we are part of a long line of creatives those whose dreams and imagined futures we are now living. Cantando y bailando in Spanish or English are both. I use Texas with a J so that it is read in Spanish. Why? Because in English, Texas brings forth memories of the racist Anglo who spat dirty spick at me in an elevator in Austin, Texas. Texas, in English, is the white teacher who doubted I had written a paper and the indoctrination in elementary school singing The Eyes of Texas. It's children pledging to Texas every morning in Texas public schools, even today. But Texas is my mother and her cousins laughing and proudly claiming their Tejanidad. Texas is arroz con pollo and enchiladas con chile con carne, as well as enchiladas callejeras. Texas is the sound of the mockingbird and the chicharras on hot summer days. I come from a very specific Texas, South Texas. Our language signals Tejanidad. Our Spanish has inklings of older terms, and we also use indigenous terms. For child, we may say chaval or chavalita or huerco or huerca. Each of these has an etymology in Old Spanish, while other terms for child come from indigenous languages. Esquincle from the Mexica Nahuatl uses in Texas, and buki from the Yaqui widely used in Arizona. We use espauda for baking powder, for instance, a clear borrowing from English. Our language is a linguistic mestizaje that suits our discourse needs perfectly. We love to play with words. ¿Qué hace un pez? Nada. Y una manguera sells mangos. <laughs> dance also signals tejanidad, both religious and social dance. Do you dance in English? The question surprised me. No, I answered. I'm dancing tejano, and it doesn't feel as if it's in English. Dancing to little Joe or Selena, that's dancing tejano. The matachines for certain don't dance in English. They may dance in Spanish with indigenous elements, though. These folk Catholic sacred dances who in Laredo honor the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, as matachines do throughout Mexico, also dance in honor of the Holy Cross. The stigma of the mainstream that deemed our cultural work as less, less intellectual, less important, less worthy of study, and less interesting, taints the word folklore. After all, the folk are the people, la plebe, not really worthy of study. 
but folklore is in my genes. It is in my yerbitas, ruda, estafiate, yerbabuena, that my grandmother would grow in our yard to heal an earache, a stomachache, or a headache. It is in the foods, caldos, sopa, guisados, she and my mom prepared to feed our large family. It is in the celebrations, the quinceañeras, bodas, bautizos, marking lives and bringing community together in mutual respect and mutual assistance. Hoy por ti, mañana por mí, my father would answer when someone thanked him for a favor or for sharing a tool or food. That's Norma Elia Cantu reading an excerpt from Telling Tales of the Texas Borderlands from the anthology Daughters of Latin America, an international anthology of writing by Latine women. Hear part one of our conversation at tpr.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for Fronteras. Fronteras is produced by Norma Martinez and Maria Navarro. Our executive producer is Dan Katz. Our editor is Fernando Ortiz Jr. Charanga Cakewalk composed our theme music. Hear past episodes at tpr.org and on the Fronteras podcast. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio.